Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. often feel adrift after their child gets an ADHD diagnosis. In today's episode, I'm talking with Dr. Nikisha Hammond about how parents can better understand ADHD and set up their ADHD youngsters for success. Welcome back to Project Parenthood. I'm your host, Dr. Nanika Kaur, clinical psychologist and respectful parenting therapist. Each week, I'll help you repair and deepen your parent-child connection, increase self-compassion and cooperation from your kids, and cultivate joy, peace, and resilience in your relationship with them. Dr. Nikisha Hammond is the author of the book called ADHD Explained, What Every Parent Needs to Know, which is a wonderful resource for parents that addresses several topics related to ADHD. Dr. Hammond is also a distinguished psychologist executive coach, and founder of Hammond Psychology and Associates. She is also the creator and host of the well-received online series Mental Health Moment with Dr. Hammond. Renowned for her expertise in mental health, burnout prevention, and leadership development, she engages as an international speaker and is an Amazon international best-selling author. Her thought leadership has been featured across multiple media outlets, including NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox, and Essence Magazine. Here's my chat with Dr. Hammond. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Dr. Nikisha Hammond, distinguished psychologist, executive coach, Amazon international best-selling author, founder of Hammond Psychology and Associates, and host of the show Mental Health Moment with Dr. Hammond. I'm so glad to have you here at Project Parenthood to give us some tips for raising ADHD kids. So thanks for being here to talk with us about this. Thank you so much for having me today. It's so exciting to have you here. I I was just telling you before we started how much I was excited to have a chat with you. So before we jump in talking about parenting ADHD kids, I did learn about you when I came across your book, ADHD Explained, What Every Parent Needs to Know. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a bit about your journey to writing this book. Yeah, yeah. It's been been a long long journey. It seems like um, this well, in the next couple months here, it'll be 15 years that I've been in practice as a psychologist. So, but it's been a great journey in the world of mental health. So what inspired me to write that book, I'm actually working on my next one, but that book, I was inspired because I worked with a lot of families who were finding out through psychological evaluations that their children had ADHD, or I would have a lot of 
parents, especially that would say, Hey, I'm not quite sure if my child does have ADHD, like what could be going on. So I was getting the same, very similar questions. It seemed like week after week in the practice. So I, I really wanted this guide for families to understand, first of all, it's not always ADHD, which I'm sure we'll get into today, but there's a lot of things that can cause what they're seeing. And like, what do we do about it? What are the next steps? So that really inspired me to write that book. Thank you. Thanks for that explanation. It is very needed. So many parents just don't know what to do in these situations or, you know, what their child is dealing with. So can you talk about some of the myths about ADHD that you've come across in your work with families? There's a lot of myths about ADHD. So the most common one that I've encountered personally, and I know it's it's out there definitely in the research, is this idea that children who are hyperactive pretty much all have ADHD. Um, which it's really a huge myth. Yes, some children who have hyperactivity and who have problems with attention have ADHD, but there's a lot of other things that mimic ADHD, like depression, like anxiety, like learning issues and a whole, you know, physical health issues. A lot of other conditions can look like ADHD, but that's a huge myth. And I think, unfortunately, in society, the first thing we see with a hyperactive child or teen or someone who can't concentrate, even as an adult, is we go, up, oh, it's ADHD. And it's like, no, it's not always ADHD. So that's a real common myth. Another one that I hear, unfortunately, and I think we're getting better at that as a society, but there's this notion that because you have ADHD, you're not going to be successful, or it's looked at as a negative thing. And it's like, well, it's, it is a condition. Um, it, it can bring about some limitations. But if you know, some ways around it or know some ways to accommodate those symptoms, it doesn't have to lead to someone that's not going to be successful. So that's another common myth. And then the third and final common myth that I see is this idea that every child that does have ADHD has a hyperactive component, which we know is definitely not the case. There's some kids that are not hyperactive or impulsive at all, but they more have issues with the attention. So definitely seeing a lot of that play out you know, through, like I said, through the research and just anecdotally what I've seen as well. Mm-hmm. That idea that so many, so many other things can mimic that and so many other things are responsible for the hyperactivity or even sometimes the, the lack of focus that, that we see. So when we do learn that it is ADHD, what are some important ways that parents can help their kids succeed? Some of the more common things that are really helpful is really thinking about starting with a team. And the team looks different depending on the child or teen. But typically, a physician can be involved just to triple check to make sure there's no physical health issues going on. I'm a strong advocate of that. We got to look holistically at this child. So that's one of the team members. The other team member could be a mental health professional. So depending on the needs of this youth, uh, they may need individual therapy to work on their own attention and hyperactivity issues. They, there may be a family therapy issue where family members can learn how to support this individual and how to communicate effectively. Uh, maybe there's anger management issues or issues with behavior or social skills. So there's a lot of different types of therapy. Um, with some kids that have ADHD, they have another mental health condition as well, like a learning disability or autism or depression, anxiety, or something else going on, right? So we want to make sure we're Again, looking at the whole child and treating everything through therapy, for example. And then the other part is just making sure that in school that this child has what they need as well. So it's one thing, you know, make sure home is good, 
whether that's through therapy, some other methods, make sure physically they're doing well. And then academically, like how are they doing? Some kids are thriving, making great grades and some kids not so much and they're struggling and they need a tutor or they need accommodations in school uh, with a different type of curriculum that can best meet their needs with ADHD. But it really is, again, it's a, it's a team approach. If parents think of this as, okay, who do I have on my team? Do I have my you know, pediatrician or family physician? Do I have my mental health professional if I need it? Do I have someone at the school that's advocating? How is my family life doing, right? Who's on your team to support this child or teenager? So that's the best way I would say to take that mindset um, the best way if you're going to help this child, it definitely is a team approach. Yeah, and that it doesn't all fall on you, right? That you can get you can get help, and and that's different professionals have sort of a different way of looking at your child, right? There's a lot of different ways you can look at this and come at it, right? There's the the sort of mental health piece, but there's also the skills piece, right? Just learning some skills. And one of the things that I come across a lot in my practice is when parents sometimes have unrealistic expectations of their child, like you know, they get the diagnosis of ADHD and they're like, here are the meds, child, you know, that are supposed to help you focus more and not be so hyperactive and do all the right stuff. So now you are a neurotypical child. I've decided now that you're taking these meds, I just am going to assume that you can do all the things that a neurotypical child could do and really still holding you to that standard. And, and so I just, could you talk a little bit about, you know, families who have a little bit of more difficulty accepting their child's diagnosis or how that diagnosis actually impacts their particular child? Yeah, and sometimes it is hard. I've seen a range of reactions when some of the time through psychological evaluations, I have to say, you know, this child has ADHD, they meet criteria for ADHD. So there's really a range of reactions, but I would definitely say to parents, we do have to adjust our expectations. I have that conversation often. It doesn't necessarily mean lower your expectations, but there's just certain things that this child may do differently because of ADHD. So for example, I know a lot of my parents, I've had a lot of discussions about how do you approach them when you're giving them instructions? If you're giving multiple instructions, like go and clean your room, and then I want you to pack your backpack up and then brush your teeth and then wash your face. like. The, it's very hard for some kids with ADHD to remember all that. I mean, it's hard for any child to remember all that, but especially with ADHD, with some of the attention issues or distractibility that comes into play, it's hard. So for example, having an expectation, you know what, maybe for your other child, they can do that where you're giving multi-step instructions. But for, for this particular child, they may need you to say one thing at a time. So, you know, say this particular thing, or if you have at a time and then the next thing and then the next, or um, depending on how the ch- child learns best, if they need reminders written down for some kids, they just need it visually. <laughs> they need that visual checklist of what they're supposed to be doing, even though you think, well, I just told you yesterday to do the same thing. They may not remember the next day or the next day, but if they have a visual reminder, right? Like some of us need it as adults too. I know I need it. I need my to-do checklist and my visual reminders, but They may learn visually or not. They may need to hear that more often auditorily and just hearing you say it. But the the point is there's a lot of different type of adjustments that usually need to be made in the home setting versus thinking and getting out of the thinking that this child is just misbehaving or this child is just lazy or they don't want to do this or they don't want to do that. Like most children, 
they don't want to do chores. Like we already know that there's not too many children that I've ever met that are like, yay, I'm excited to do my chores. <laughs> so, but, but also making sure you're setting up an environment so they can be more successful at home and at school. So that's when we think about, like you were you know, asking, adjusting expectations. It's a mindset as a family to think, hey, some of these things they may do differently and that's okay. Like their brain is just wired a little bit differently. So they, we're going to put these things into place to make sure they're successful and we're supporting them in the way they need to be supported. Yeah, I think it's not only important to, you know, have that individual approach to, you know, the way your particular child learns best. One of the things that I think is so interesting, too, is just the idea that like some parents will say, well, I've seen them do it the one time, so I know they can. So they must just be selective about their abilities to do this or that or the other thing. And, you know, it's just I mean, just like all kids, not even just ADHD, ADHD kids, but it's sort of like there's so many things that we bring to a situation, our physiological state, our mental state, you know, all of these different things play into the fact of whether or not we can get do this today versus tomorrow. So I, I think it's really, really interesting to talk with a lot of families who are so confused as, as to why they can sometimes do this thing, but why not always? Yeah, I hear the same thing. And, and the biggest thing I hear is, well, they're able to pay attention to the video games, you know, so why can't they pay attention to schoolwork? And I'm like, well, video games are very highly stimulating. They're very interesting to most kids you know, certain type of schoolwork, it's just not interesting. Like not every child wants to do math or science or whatever they're doing. Like, and that for a typical person, I hate to use the word typical, but a person that does not have ADHD, it's hard for us to attend and pay attention to something that we're bored out of our minds doing versus something we really love and enjoy. We're like, oh, okay, you're focused on it. So if, so again, thinking of a child that has ADHD, it's that much harder when you are not interested in something to do it. And to pay attention to it versus the video games, which of course, right? All these kids, they're 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 loving their video games. Yes, indeed. I, I think that that's such, such a good point. Just to remember that you know it's really hard because it, there are a lot of things that people without ADHD sort of like buckle down and do, right? Even if it's boring, even if they don't want to, and that is a hundred times harder to do when you have ADHD to do an unpleasant task or not or a boring task, as you say, a non-exciting task. Like I always say, there's no dopamine in that. Of course, they're not doing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so like, like, how can you add some dopamine to that task? You know what I mean? Exactly. Can you like call yep. out the answers from like jumping out of places? I don't know. But you know, it's just exactly. like, can you make it fun? Somehow? Can you gamify it in some way? Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. 
Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Another question I have, which is more of a broad question, but you know, what are some of those foundational things you, you can do as a parent um, to scaffold those daily tasks for your young ADHDers? You know, you were mentioning maybe making a list, maybe something visual. What are, you know, what are some other things that a parent of an ADHD child might do in in their home that helps their child sort of move through the day. Yeah, that's great. So especially for the younger crowd, like the elementary crowd or preschool elementary crowd, it's really important to make sure their area is as organized as possible at home for homework time. Because kids with ADHD, some kids with ADHD tend to, if they sit to do their homework and the pencil is not there, or the snack is not there, or the paper's not there, or the book, like you, they're getting up like 12 times because it's like, oh, I need to get my this, I need to get my that. And it's very, they get very distracted and it takes them a lot longer to do homework. Well, what I found with some parents that I work with is if they can do their best, I know I get it. Like parent, we're all busy, but doing your best to create that environment where the pencil's there, the notebook, the book, the snack, like everything they need is there. They still, like any child, they still need to take breaks, but hopefully we're not taking 12 breaks, right? Maybe we need two or three breaks in the homework time as opposed to like 12 and we're constantly getting up to do things. So organizing their environment is really, really important. Keeping as much as possible. Again, I know things are hectic, especially post COVID. There's a lot of hybrid working going on right now. Some parents are remote and then they're partially in the office and it's, it's hectic. But as much as you can, keeping a routine for this child is really helpful for most kids anyhow, but especially children with ADHD, most schools are pretty structured, which can be helpful knowing what time dinner time is, knowing what time homework is or bedtime is as much as you can, you know, getting that schedule and that routine together is also very, you know, pretty helpful um, for kids with ADHD. And then the other thing is just to make sure that you're keeping the lines of communication open. If you're dealing with a kindergartner, it might be really hard for them to express their emotions and that sort of thing, of course. But as they get older, when you're talking about third, fourth, fifth grade, like they have feelings. Like there's some kids I've met, unfortunately, who they're struggling because they want to do good. Like they're like, I can't, I can't tell you how many kids I've talked to. Like, they're like, I want to be good, but I can't. Like they feel like they have ants in their pants. And they're getting out of their seat or they're struggling with impulsivity or they're trying to do their work, but they're distracted by someone that dropped their pencil in class. Like it's hard. So keeping the lines of communication open at home and as much as you can as a parent, like expressing to them your compassion, like you're there for them. You're trying to support them. How can I help you? Right. There's some kids I've met who struggled so badly before they got the psychological evaluation with attention concentration and they end up having like a lower processing speed, meaning that they basically needed more time on tasks in school. And once they got more time on their tests or quizzes and all that sort of thing, it really was life-changing for them academically and emotionally and mentally for them. So little things like that, however you can advocate for kids in school to help them in the home environment too, when it comes to homework, that's another thing you can do. So I'm just listing off a couple. I could literally list 300, which I won't. <laughs> By the purposes of the podcast, but there's a lot. Yes, yes, there are a lot. But I think that those are really foundational things, right? The idea of 
maybe sometimes slowing down, understanding that we we do try to pack, I mean, in the interest of moving so fast as we do in our society, we do try to pack so many things into like this one minute, you know, it's like, I'm going to tell you the 14 things you need to do in the next 60 seconds that I have to tell you this. And hopefully you just get all that in and go do it perfectly, right? And and I do think it's really hard um, for kids who do take a longer time to process. And even, you know, it's funny that you say that because even when I'm thinking about parents with toddlers, I often tell parents, you know, give a toddler a couple of moments after you say something. Somebody's like, they're not obeying me. I've said this. And it's like, they're still... Like, it's come out of your mouth, but they're still, like, wrapping their mind or they're try- still making meaning of what you've said. They're not being disobedient. They're just trying to process your words, right? And so if you give, you know, count to 30 and count to 30 in your mind, and they probably will answer you somewhere in that in that time. You need to give them, give them a second, you know? And I think that that's really important. And it reminds me again, I wonder about your opinion about this, just about how much kids know about their diagnosis, right? You know, like parents often are like the holders of the information and they're just telling a kid, you need to do this or you need to do that more, you need to do this less. And the child doesn't really have a context for why that is. You know, um, they, they've sat through this evaluation, but the, but they don't really know why or what came of that. And and I just wonder, you know, if you could talk a little bit about sharing the diagnosis or collect, like bringing your child into those discussions and and how that might be done in an age appropriate way. Yeah, and and you're right. Like it technically is a parent's value system whether or not they want to share this label, which is a label and a diagnosis with their children or child. I've had the vast majority of parents I've worked with have been open about sharing the diagnosis with their child, but you know, I've had a group of parents too that are like, "No, I don't want my child to have this label because of some of the stereotypes and what it means. So I am a fan, though, of age appropriately sharing what the title is, if you will. But also the good part about sharing as a family member is that you get to tell them what that means. Society is going to, or friends, their peers or teachers, they're going to have a view of what ADHD means. But when you as a parent or caregiver say, this is what it means for in our family, right? Like, yes, you may have some issues with attention or depending on their age, some kids, they know if they're in fifth grade, they know like I'm struggling to do my homework. I'm struggling in school. They, they get it <laughs> by that age, but explaining to them that, yes, you do have some of these issues, however, and then start to list their strength because for some kids that family members have allowed to come into like a feedback session that I've had, with families about learning that they have ADHD and they're very open to hearing that, I explained to these kids, I'm like, listen, I just tested your IQ. Like you're, you're brilliant. Like you're so smart or you're so whatever it is. Like you're so kind, you're so smart. Like you have all these qualities. I just did your test. I'm like, I kind of joke with them. I'm like, I have the scores right here to prove it. I'm not just saying that like socially you're doing amazing or, you know, emotionally you're doing great or wherever their strengths are for some kids, if they need the visual, um, we draw like a huge circle and then a, a small, a very small circle in there. And it's like, here, this is you, right? This huge circle. But this little circle over here is ADHD. Like it's, it is a part of you, but that's not all of you. Like that doesn't fully define who you are. No diagnosis fully defines who you are. It's, it is a part of what explains who you are, but there's, and then, you know, depending on the age of the child, we might go into specifics like but you're all these other things you're an amazing 
soccer player or you're great at drawing or you're kind to your brother or sister or you're great at music, whatever it is, right? There's all these other strengths. And when we, when parents can approach it like that, which is tr- the truth, we're being honest, like don't, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest here, right? What, what are they really good at? So some kids aren't good at everything. That's fine. So whatever they're really good at, like sharing those things with them in addition to, yes, there's some, you know, attention issues or whatever it is that they have, but we're working on it. We're trying to put things into place to make sure you're as successful as possible, you know, in your life. Like we're working on that. So it's a very honest response that you can give, which can explain a lot. And also parents should definitely let their kids know, especially the little ones like, hey, if you, you know, if you hear something else from your friends or teachers or whomever, you can always come back to me. You can always ask me any questions. Like I'm here to answer your questions. I'm here to support you and just keep reminding them of that. Yeah, I think that's really, really wonderful. You know, I think what you're saying about mentioning the strengths, I, you know, in my experience, especially kids who aren't diagnosed until a little bit later in their lives, you know, after sixth grade or so, you know, they've already heard so many things about you're not following directions, you're letting me down, you've disappointed me again, like, why can't you do this? Your brother can do that, your sister can do this, why can't you? Like, they're already heard, they've already heard so many, like, negative things about something that they can't control. And I do think it's really important to balance that scale and to really put things on the other side. Like, there are also all these strengths. They're not only, like, the only thing about you is not the things that you struggle with. Like, there are so many things about you, things that you do well, things that we love about you, things that are great about you. And, you know, I think that we do spend so much more time talking to kids, you know, about what they're not doing well, right? Um, rather than what they are doing well. And, and I think we do that in so many, so many um, arenas. I mean, even again, with toddlers, it's sort of like, can you say what you do want rather than what you don't want from your toddler? Can you tell them like, this is what you can do versus what this is what you can't do? Our minds go so much faster and easier to like what we don't like or what is bothering us. And it's and I think that we we don't give enough time to those things that are going well, because we just, you know, it's like, well, that's fine. I don't need to talk about it. Everything's good there. So I don't need to have a discussion about it. Right. But I do think it's great. It's great to give kids a window and let them know that you see more things about them than just what they struggle with. And so as we're sort of winding down, you know, I'm, I'm thinking also about parents and um you know, it is challenging, especially, you know, I know parents who have, you know, I have ADHD, my partner has ADHD, all three of our kids have ADHD, like, sometimes it's like a whole family situation, it's very stressful. And then of course, if you don't have ADHD, I also know some like where there's one parent, and they're the only person in the house who doesn't have ADHD, and everyone else does. But you know, what are some self care practices, you know, how can a parent take care of themselves when they're when they're taking care of a child who is struggling in lots of different ways, especially if it's a brand new diagnosis and we're all just trying to figure this out for the first time, how can parents really care for themselves? You know, we put so much toward our children, but, you know, if we don't really put that oxygen mask on ourselves, like, how are we going to take care of them? And I wonder if there are any things that you've discussed with your families about how they can sort of attend to themselves and their own stress levels. I know this is going to be hard when I share this to get into this mindset sometimes, but really when parents start to make themselves their number one priority, which is hard to do sometimes because we're told by society, oh, put your family first and put this first, or maybe you're putting work first, or you're putting something else first besides yourself, it's really not sustainable. Like it will lead to burnout, right? And, And it can be hard 
and it can be challenging. But what I always strongly suggest is if parents are in a place where you're like, man, I don't feel like I have any time. I got work. I got the kids. I got family. I got all these things happening. Then commit to yourself as a start to begin with 60 seconds a day. So it's literally one minute. And it's something that I professionally, personally and professionally experienced myself years ago when I had to shift my mindset into making sure that I was making myself my number one priority because I had hit burnout at the time and know what that was like physically and emotionally and spiritually to get to that place. But I didn't feel like I had time, you know, like everyone else is like, oh, we're so busy to add this in. But again, start with one minute, 60 seconds a day, even timing yourself because, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, 60 seconds was really going to be like 10 minutes. Nope. It's literally 60 seconds. So you can set your cell phone timer or, you know, whatever timer you have for 60 seconds. And in that 60 seconds, you decide how you want to spend it. So like for myself, I'm a, I love tea. I'm a tea drinker. So I used to have like, I'd call it my take a minute time. So it could be like just having a cup of tea, being really mindful, being really present in that 60 seconds to do that. You can be intentional in that way. I know some people, when I've spoken to different groups, I've asked them, how would you spend your 60 seconds? Some people said they would just stop and take deep breaths. Some people said they would pray during that time. Some people said they would maybe go on a quick walk and maybe more than 60 seconds, but right, like start a quick walk during that time. But it's really thinking about how do I, again, start with 60 seconds a day for yourself. And even if you're like, man, I don't even like, I'm so overwhelmed right now that I can't even add that in. Then you, for your 60 seconds, then, you, then that, the, you know, if you relate to that category, then you're going to just spend the time being mindful, which means just living in the present moment, which is hard for us to do because we're normally thinking about the past or the future but living in the present moment and the things that you already are currently doing. So most people that I know wake up, wash their face, brush their teeth, take a shower, you know, whatever those things are that you're already going to be doing anyway, practice being in the present moment. I do this a lot personally um, when I brush my teeth because half the time I'm like, oh, what do I got to do today? Like in the morning, I'm like, what do I got to do today? And you know, your to-do list kind of goes to your head, but I've tried as much as possible to kind of work on thinking about the different steps. Like I'm picking up the toothbrush. I'm turning on the water. I'm getting the toothbrush wet, like, right? Like every part of what you're doing, being present in that moment. And, and starting with those types of tasks, if you will, to take that minimum of 60 seconds, what you do is you actually train your brain. So now I spend a lot more than 60 seconds a day in self-care activities, but it, it but the start was 60 seconds. So start with 60 seconds, take the time that you need, commit to the self-care because you're going to end up being a better version of who you are as a parent and, you know, whatever other role you play in your family or work life, which will help the other people around you thrive as well. So this is a, it's like a dual benefits. It's good for you and it's good for who you interact with as well. Absolutely. I mean, everyone who's listening, if you listen to Project Parenthood, you know about mindfulness. I talk about it all the time. And that idea of taking 60 seconds just to come into the present moment, however that looks for you or however that feels good to you or however you can make it happen, right? 60 seconds to just pay attention to yourself or pay attention to this moment. It's so, so important. So, you know, I think 
this is such a it's it's such such a good conversation to have. I think that although I've I've done lots of lots of episodes about ADHD and there's so much to learn about ADHD, I think that it's always you know good to have reminders. I think so many parents and so many families are dealing with this diagnosis and and there's so much out there that you can learn about it and it's always good just to have some tips, some tips and tricks to have in your back pocket to help you through a busy, busy day, as you were talking, there's so many things going on, so many things in our lives. It's, it's, it's a lot. Um, yes, for sure, for sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I thank you so much for coming and talking with us today and, um, and sharing your expertise with us. I love that you're talking about this. I love that there are people out there who look like us who are talking about this, who are out there, because I think that there's a lot, um, and we, that's a whole other episode, but but I think that there's not a lot of people. I think that sometimes you're only seeing one group of people talk about a, talk about a thing. And, and sometimes it can be hard for some people, like some people in the world, to, to take that in. Because they're sort of thinking, well, maybe they're not really talking to me. Maybe this is like how it is for other people. So it's really great when there are people that look like you, that I know that there are people out there who maybe only listen to people who look like them, who really only take things in from people who look like them. And so I really think it's important um, for people like us to be talking about this for all the people who really need this information. So thanks so much for being with me today and talking about this. And um, if you will just let let everyone know how they can find you and, and how they can get in touch with you if they want to, what are the ways they can we can reach out to you if we want to? For sure. Yeah. If anyone needs anything, they can always head to drnikeshahammond.com, D-R-N-E-K-E-S-H-I-A-H-A-M-M-O-N-D.com or connect with me on any social media platform. Um, I'm on, I think, almost all of them, usually sending out some type of mental health resource or another because I'm my heart is with public education and making sure we understand how to help ourselves and how to help the people around us. So yeah, definitely connect with me, Instagram. Facebook, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, uh, any of them. And I'm more than happy to yeah, answer any follow-up questions. Wonderful. And we will put all that information in the show notes for our audience. Thank you so much, Dr. Hammond. It was wonderful to have you with us. And um, Thank you. just thanks so much for being here. That's all for today's episode of Project Parenthood. Thanks for listening, and I hope you found this helpful. Be sure to join me live on Instagram at BK Parents on Monday, December 18 at 12.45 p.m. when you can ask me anything. You can get your questions answered in real time. If you have a question for me about parent-child relationships, respectful parenting tips, and or parental mental health that you'd like me to cover in a future episode, shoot me an email at parenthood at quickanddirtytips.com. Leave a message at 646-926-3243 or leave a message on Instagram at BKParents, that's B-K-P-A-R-E-N-T-S. And you can learn about my private practice working with parents living in New York State at www.brooklynparenttherapy.com. Catch you next week. Project Parenthood is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Firebend. Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. And our marketing and publicity associate is Davina Tomlin. See you next week. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn or that your family won't endearingly call you 
Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide.